0: Isaiah chapter 40 we're reading verses 1 to 8 comfort comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins a voice of one calling What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: When I was growing up, I had a favorite restaurant. Uh, It was called the number one oriental buffet in the middle of Sheffield. It was proudly given two and a half stars on TripAdvisor. Um, And Phil from Sheffield reviewed it and said, uh, the food is decent and slightly warmer than in most other buffets. Uh, A ringing endorsement of the number one oriental buffet in Sheffield. And I, I loved everything about that restaurant. I love the fact that the the space itself was like a cavernous school canteen and chairs scraped along the floor, that there were passive-aggressive notes up on the wall in the, the style of your mother that said, if you don't eat all the food on your plate, we reserve the right to charge you extra money. It's like they'd forgotten you were paying to be there in the first place. I loved going around the kind of buffet island with the the long heat lamp strips uh, and picking my way through egg fried rice and rubbery sweet and sour pork. I loved everything about eating at the number one oriental buffet. But there was one thing I loved more than eating at the number one oriental buffet in the middle of town in Sheffields. I used to love sitting on a Friday afternoon in Mrs. Hinchcliffe's boring business studies class and staring out the window and thinking that that night I would get to go and eat at the number one oriental buffet in Sheffield. I used to sit there and look forward to and long and get excited about um, what what fried carbohydrate I would put with my MSG for the evening uh, and would I have uh, Chinese-style ribs, or spring rolls, or prawn crackers, or would I just devour my way through every single option? Uh, there were uh, nine different colors of jelly available to you for pudding, and I would work out what, what, best, uh, what color best complemented the different um, E numbers that you could get in each, that you could get a good full cocktail. I, I loved sitting and waiting and anticipating, going and being in the number one Oriental buffet. I remember getting really annoyed if uh, mum and dad would on an impulse take us out for dinner there thinking that uh, if I'd have known that all afternoon that I could have sat there and looked forward to it. I could have been excited and anticipated it and prepared myself physically and mentally and spiritually uh, for an evening feasting there. We live in a a society, uh, in a culture that's forgotten the value of waiting for things in a society that is immediate and constant, that everything happens at the click of a button, at the flash of a light. Things that we would wait days and weeks for, we can now have within the hour. We can now have within the day. I I am constantly on my phone. I remember a time when we would stay at home in the evening, and me and my parents would sit and watch the 10 o'clock news. Now there's no point waiting for the 10 o'clock news because we've all checked our phones, we've all checked the internet constantly throughout the day so we know every scrap of information. I used to um, go on the internet and open my phone to get all of the um, sports scores and sports news. And now I have a a whole host of notifications set on my phone that will let me know uh, when a goal's scored, when a match is won, when a wicket falls, when someone somewhere wins a medal or breathes slightly heavily. Rather than wait and anticipate and prepare, everything now is so instant and immediate and quick. The world accelerates and it speeds up. Where before we would be forced to wait and to slow down and prepare, Uh, we now live in a world that's immediate and constant. And there are huge benefits to that. Uh, There are huge benefits to um, life in the world speeding up and getting quicker. We we don't want to criticize everything in our world, but, but there are also some drawbacks to that. I think one of the roles of the church, which is you and me, as the church, is that we get to stand alongside culture. We get to stand alongside the way this world operates and functions, and we get to critique it. We get to comment on it, and we get to speak to it, and we get to say, the way that things are might not be the best way. But the way that things are running, the pace the world lives at, the speed that everything happens at, might not be the best way for this world to live, because there's another way. Uh, There's another um, pace of life for us to live. There's another rhythm for us to walk by. Uh, As the church, we get uh, to observe that. We get to critique it and um, evaluate it. And then more than just speak about it, we get to live differently. We get to live lives that distinctively point to a different way of living. As the church, we get to critique that culture. Uh, And we get to do that all year round. But one of the, the points of the year where we as the church stop, and we wait, and we prepare, is Advent. Uh, tonight, this is the first Sunday of Advent, the first season of preparation, of waiting, of getting ready. But we're not um, just getting ready and gearing up for Christmas Day. We're not just getting up and getting ready for Christmas Day and for John Lewis and Sainsbury's Christmas adverts and for working out what meat we're going to eat on Christmas Day. But, but during Advent, we sit and we wait and we prepare Not just for the uh, reminder that Jesus was born by a virgin in a stable, but we remember that Jesus has come and he will come again. In Advent we remember not just that Jesus has come, but that Jesus will come again. He's not abandoned us, he's not forsaken us, he's not forgotten us. We remember that Jesus is coming again. Remember that our faith isn't an escapist faith where one day we'll all be beamed off to go and live in the clouds in glory with Jesus. But that Jesus is returning and he's going to redeem this world. He's going to redeem this earth. During Advent we get to look for signs of that redemption, signs of the coming of that kingdom. We get to remember that Jesus is coming again. Uh, it was on the Alpha Holy Spirit Weekend Away last weekend, uh, and we saw signs of the coming of the kingdom of God all weekend. Uh, we saw um, people, uh, some of who do have the faith, and some of who are just trying to work it out, starting to meet with God, and not just meet with God as an academic, intellectual reality, but uh, as a God who wants to be known, as a God who wants to be felt and experienced. Uh, someone on the, the course, they had a problem with their left hand uh, and they'd um, lost some sensation and movement in it, uh, and they got prayed for, uh, and by the grace of God, they, I saw them holding two large oranges at the end of the weekend. That would have been impossible for them. They, they have a, a doctor, and they went and spoke to them. Uh, and it turns out the doctor's a Christian, and he said, oh, I think you've been miraculously healed. So he's dropped the medication, and he did the pin test, where you, you take a pin and you, you poke it in someone's hand to see if the nerve endings are working, and, and the hand flinched. Uh, For the first time in in years, they've got full sensation in their hands. Uh, God's at work. God's revealing his kingdom. He's drawing near. Uh, As followers of Jesus, we don't rush on to Christmas Day. We don't live at the speed and the pace of this world, but instead we wait. We prepare. Uh, We recognize that Jesus is coming again. There are signs of his kingdom in the world around us, and we get to point to them. Uh, we stand alongside the culture and we critique it and we say the way that things are isn't the way they always have to be. It's not the best way for this world to live. And Tonight we're going to talk about um, how we wait, uh, about what it is to, to wait for the coming of the kingdom of God and, and how we do that. Uh, our passage tonight um, draws that out for us. I want to talk about um, what it is that God says to us as we wait and how he speaks to us about our standing before God as we wait uh, and then how we're called to live as we wait, what we're called to do. Uh, and our, our passage tonight is taken from Isaiah. Isaiah was in the Old Testament, um, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus came. But uh, huge sections of the Old Testament speak about Jesus and they, um, they foreshadow him and they mention him and they mention the kind of saviour that's going to come. Uh, And this uh, passage, this uh, book was written by uh, someone called Isaiah. Uh, And Isaiah was a prophet. And the the role of the prophets was um, to speak the word of God to the people of God. Uh, And they would speak um, truth to kings and to people in power and people in control. And Isaiah did that. Uh, The tradition of the church says that Isaiah was so provocative. He was so disturbing for the people in power that King Manasseh had him sawn in half he was so disruptive and so disturbing. But Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. And we've gone into the second half of the book of Isaiah, which particularly speaks about Jesus. Tonight's passage is full of prophecies and words about Jesus, the one who's going to come. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at these words from Isaiah. And we're going to let them catapult us to today. Uh, We're going to let it um, speak to the people of Israel and also speak to us today in our situation and see what uh, God might want to say to each of us. Uh, Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the mouthpiece of God, uh, has written down words that speak not just to Israel in 8th century BC, but to each of us here tonight. Isaiah is um, prophesying uh, over Jerusalem. He's speaking the voice of God to Jerusalem. Uh, And Jerusalem are in a a terrible situation. Uh, They're in a a, a really horrible situation. Their uh, forefathers have been rebellious against God. Uh, They've rejected God. They've um, tried to draw away from him, to turn their face away. uh, And they've rejected God. And now um, this current generation of Israel are, are paying the penalty for that. Uh, While uh, in the Old Testament God deals with Israel as a nation, one of the um, ways that he engages with them is often to send them into slavery, uh, to remind them whose people they are. Uh, And these uh, people, this generation of Israelites, have been taken captive by the Babylonians. uh, And they've been uh, held slaves there for years and years. Uh, They are a shattered and a broken people. They're completely despairing. They have no hope. Uh, They think they're going to be in slavery for years to come. They are completely broken. And as they're completely broken, as they're shattered, as they're in slavery, uh, Isaiah speaks to them. He speaks the word of God to them. Uh, And the first words of our passage tonight, the first words that God speaks to a broken people are, Comforts, comforts, my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God speaks to a broken and a shattered people, a people who've been rebellious, who've been wayward, who've not lived like God has called them to live. And the words in our passage tonight say, Comfort. There's overtones in the Hebrew here of a, a husband wooing back his lover. Of, a, of someone who's been estranged, they've been apart for a while, and uh, now the husband returns and he makes his love clear to them. I don't know if you've ever been wooed. I've tried to woo, but I've never been wooed. But there's a, a sense of someone wanting to kind of lean in, of, of drawing closer to them, uh, of trying to reduce the distance in between the two people. God is speaking to a broken people and he's leaning in, he's drawing close. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel broken and shattered. Maybe there's a situation in your life which is uh, difficult and you've lost all hope. Maybe you're in a a marriage and it's broken and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe there's a situation at work. Maybe you've not been in work for a long time and you keep on sending out CVs and applications and you, you keep on getting knocked back and you're despairing. Maybe um, term has been difficult and long and hard and you just want it to end immediately, but you know you've got to stick it out for the next six weeks, a month. The word of God to you tonight is comfort, comforts. Speak tenderly. I wonder what it is that God is saying to you tonight. Uh, Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. That means that each of us who believe in God, who trust in him, can hear the voice of God. Uh, Why not ask him? Ask what he's saying to you tonight. God is making himself known. As we wait for God, as we wait for the return of our king, God is speaking tender words to us. I don't know about you, but this world feels particularly broken at the moment, particularly <coughs> messy, particularly in need of a saviour. What's the, the tender word of God for your workplace, for your home, for your family, for your colleagues? What is it that the still, small, small, the still small voice of God is whispering to them? As we wait for the return of God, he speaks tenderly. Uh, And as he speaks tenderly, he reminds Israel of their standing before him. He says, "Uh, comfort, comfort uh, my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received double from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Israel has received double for all her sins and there are two ways you can take that verse, you can take that section. Some people take it and they say that um, God has um, punished her twice over for her sins, that uh, she'd rebelled against him and that uh, they'd been uh, in slavery for twice the length uh, that they deserved. Uh, You you might buy that for this passage, but I don't think it fits with the tone of what God is saying. If God is leaning in like a a father, like a a husband trying to woo his wife, he's trying to reduce the distance, I think God is actually saying something a lot more tender and a lot softer here. He's trying to rekindle that connection. There was a a custom at the time that this passage was written, where if someone had a, a debt that they were unable to pay, Uh, their creditor would um, write the amount that they owed on a a piece of parchment and they would go and hammer it to the door. Uh, And as everyone walked past their front door, uh, they would know that that family were unable to pay their debts and they would know the amount they were unable to pay. Uh, In a a culture that's based around honour and shame, uh, that was hugely shameful. Hugely shameful. Everyone would um, recognize that you were a family of ill repute, that you borrowed money that you were unable to pay back, uh, and there would be shame and scorn heaped on you. Uh, You would be embarrassed about that. Uh, But sometimes a a wealthy person would walk past that door and they would see the amount of money written on that uh, piece of paper. Uh, And they would uh, go into the house and they would find out um, who the debt was owed to. Uh, And when they'd done that, they would go and they would pay off the sum of the debts. Uh, And when they'd done that, uh, they would go and they would remove the nail from the piece of paper and fold it in half and hammer it back in place. Uh, And what that symbolized to the community was that this person who had been unable to pay their debt had now had their debt paid in full. Uh, This person who had been... um, ashamed and had scorn poured upon them had now been fully restored to this community. Their honor had been restored to them. They'd received double for their sin, double for their debts because they'd had the money repaid and now their honor and their reputation had been repaid as well. They had received double for their sins. We're a people who have received double for our sins as well. Uh, Israel had received double for their sins Uh, they were in captivity in Babylon and God was saying "Uh, I'm not just going to restore you uh, I'm not just going to bring freedom to you uh, but I'm going to restore you as my chosen people and everyone will know that you are the loved one of God you are his chosen people Uh, I'm going to lean in towards you I'm going to reduce the distance between you and me Israel received double for their sins, not just uh, the forgiveness that they wanted, uh, but their restoration, the restoration of their relationship with God. Uh, Like Israel, we have received double for our sins. Uh, On the cross, Jesus poured out his forgiveness. Uh, He removed the cost of our sin. Uh, The wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus. So we can now uh, be free of the consequences of sin. But more than that, uh, 2 Corinthians says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, our sin has been forgiven and we have now received the righteousness of God. Uh, We have been made fully right with God uh, and we get the benefits of adoption into his family. Uh, The distance between us and God has been uh, hugely reduced. Uh, Hebrews says that we can now boldly approach the throne of God. Uh, We've received double for our sins. Uh, just as the Israelites did. Uh, God speaks to us words of comfort. He speaks tenderly to us. Uh, We've received double for our sins. We have been made righteous by God. Uh, And then how are we called to live? Uh, uh, Isaiah goes on and he continues to prophesy. Uh, And he says, uh, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When a a king went to visit a town or a region, uh, messengers would be sent out ahead of them. uh, And they would um, tell people to prepare the way of the coming king. Uh, And people would um, try and make the road and the passage as smooth as possible. They would uh, make the town and the region pleasing uh, to the king who was coming. Uh, They wanted to show their honor and their respect to that king uh, by making the area acceptable to him and fit for a king. Uh, Isaiah is saying, prepare the way. Mountains will bow down. Uh, The Israelites would have heard that and they would have recognized the scale and the grandeur and the significance of the king he was coming. Uh, They would have recognized that even creation, the highest peaks, the highest points in this world would bow down in humble adoration at the coming of the king. Uh, They would have recognized the scale and the breadth and the awe and the power that was at this king's disposal. Prepare the way for the coming king. Uh, These are the words that John the Baptist uses to announce the coming of Jesus. Uh, He comes out of the wilderness, uh, dressed like a wild man, and he says, prepare the way. There is a king coming. But I I believe that um, more than words that were just for Israel to hear and for John the Baptist to quote, I I think it's an attitude for us to live in as well. Prepare the way for the coming king. Are we living in a way, are you living in a way that announces the arrival of the king, that prepares the way? If messengers are sent out to tell people to prepare the way, to get ready, are you living in such a way that people recognize that something different is coming soon? There's a different king, there's a different kingdom, there's a different way of life. Are you living your life at a different rhythm rather than constantly bouncing between one thing to the next? Are you slowing down? Are you taking your time? Are you taking the time to build relationships, to get to know each other? Are you taking the time to breathe and appreciate the world around you? Are you living your life on different values? Are you continually trying to climb up the career ladder to make yourself as impressive as you possibly can be? Or instead, are you stopping for people and building relationship and encouraging others? Are you um, buying into the the, um, the desperation in Edinburgh for your children to be in the best possible private school in the best possible environment for them? Uh, Are you living in a a different way, in a more countercultural way that provokes questions, that um, inspires a different response from people? Uh, In your uh, lecture hall, in your classroom, are you living differently? Are you living your life on a different set of values that um, provokes a response? Are you preparing the way for the king? Are you living a a life based on that kingdom's uh, value for justice and grace and peace and humility and kindness and love? Uh, Are you living out of that set of values? rather than the one that wants to promote yourself and to achieve and to have other people view you as a success. I don't know what um, your Facebook feed has been like, but mine has been um, overwhelmingly um, full for, it seems like, weeks and weeks, uh, full of people commenting on Donald Trump's uh, election as the president of America. I think that um, social media has a a real strength because it gives people a a voice. It gives us a platform to, to say what we think. But my, um, my Facebook feed has been um, full of people getting into disputes and arguments and, uh, and standing in judgment on other people's view of the world and um, trying to um, undermine in a, a less than respectful way a lot of the time. I think that we, we as the church need to um, have a voice and speak and to comment, but rather than just speak and comment, we need to live lives that speak louder. We need to live a life that speaks louder. If, as the church, we're concerned about um, Donald Trump and his um, sexist, homophobic, misogynistic um, attitudes, how are we living differently? One of the more shocking statistics that came out of the American election was, I think, 82 or 83% of American evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. I'm sure that everyone pretty much saw that um, I've seen some articles on the internet trying to say, oh, well, if you're an American evangelical, then that's kind of a cultural thing, so that's a bit different. I don't know what your friends who don't know Jesus think, but mine won't be taking the time to understand the full nuance of that. They, they won't be. Uh, they'll be seeing that Christians in America voted for Donald Trump, a man who they think is racist, homophobic, misogynistic, and they'll be uh, looking at the church, you and me, and they'll be trying to work out... Do we support that kind of president? Uh, And we can do a a whole load of things. We can, option one is we take to Facebook and we post angry statuses and we rant. Option two, I prefer option two, uh, is we live a life that is our best defense. If people look at Donald Trump and they see someone who is hostile towards immigrants, uh, are we embracing strangers? Are we welcoming them into our homes? Uh, are we uh, welcoming the refugees in this city? Are we provoking um, the different uh, policymakers in our councils, in our local areas and our MPs? Are we uh, living a life that says, "Oh, you, can, you can't ally us to Donald Trump at all, because our, our worldview, the way that we live, is completely different. Uh, when they say, "Oh, Donald Trump is sexist, the church must be sexist," uh, are we all being radically inclusive? Uh, are we speaking well of each other regardless of gender? Uh, are we embracing diversity? People think that Donald Trump is deeply homophobic. Are we going to be radically inclusive? Are we going to welcome people? Are we going to make friends with people who have different sexual orientations to each of us? Uh, We can uh, write long statuses and we can um, try and fill our words with lots of nuance, but the problem is the the world's not worried about nuance. The world's worried about black and white and what makes a good headline. We need to live lives that are a better defense than that that say that we live for different values, for a different king and a different kingdom. We need to live lives that above all announce the coming of a king, and the coming of a kingdom that looks different to the ones that are being established on this earth. Our passage tonight finishes with, the flowers may fall and the grass withers, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. Kings and kingdoms of this earth will come and they will go. Different people will be in power, in presidential elections, in number 10, in our workplace, in our homes. But the word of God endures forever. How are we, each of us, announcing that word, announcing that kingdom that's coming? We're called to wait as the church, as the people and the family of God that we're called to wait, to not live our life at 100 miles an hour, rushing towards Christmas, but instead to wait, for, to look for signs of the coming kingdom, for signs of the coming king. And as we wait, God wants to speak words of tenderness and comfort to us, to our broken and shattered lives, and to the broken and shattered lives around us. He wants us to know that we have been made right, that we've received double for our sins, you have become the righteousness of God. And as we hear his voice and understand our standing before him, we're called to live lives that announce the coming of his kingdom, that point to a a different way of living and a different set of values. Amen.